I want, I'm not going to, this is a great story. I'm not going to preach on this story right now. We're going to go to talk about Gideon. If you were here last night, uh, you, you kind of follow this. But, but there's this, you don't have to turn there, but First Samuel, make a note. First Samuel 14, um, Saul's son, Jonathan, certainly outdid his father in character and, and so much uh, love for God and, and bravery. And, and um, the Philistines had, had disarmed the Israelites. They, no, they had no swords and no spears except for Jonathan and Saul. And the only way you can get your, your, even your plowshares and, and the various uh, farming equipment, get it sharpened, you had to go down to a Philistine town to get that done. And so, but there's this, the day of battles coming and, and the Philistines have some garrisons in certain areas. And Jonathan is like, he's just such kind of person. He, he says, um, t- tells his young uh, armor bearer, he says, hey, let's go over to the Philistines. He says, what? No, no. His armor bearer said, yep, let's do it. But he makes, um, they get to the place and, and they're going through this place and, they, and he says this. Come, let's go over to those to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. Perhaps the Lord will act on our, our behalf. And listen to this. says, nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. He's not, God never needed a majority, right? And, um, but nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And why is that? Because the victory rests in him. It's not by might nor by power. It's not by charisma. It's not by big fancy buildings or programs or big budgets, but by the very power and the presence of God. That's what makes the difference. And, and in Gideon's story, if you want to turn to Judges chapter 6, it's on page 347. Um, um, Gideon's story is a, is a great example uh, of that. So if you want to turn to there real quick, we're, we're just going to walk through this story. Maybe we'll pick out a number of the judges. There's some great stories. Uh, <clears throat> I think Paul writes, in, I think it's in Romans, he says, All Scripture has been written to teach us. And uh, uh, I've, I've said many times how much uh, I just love the, the stories of the Old Testament because of what we learn about God, what we learn about people and, and nations and uh, and that. So Gideon, um, you know, Judges chapter 6, let's pray. Lord, we just ask you, Lord God, to open up your word to us right now um, and to hear what you're saying. Lord God, that we would not be afraid to stand up and, um, and we would definitely refuse to be silent and be, guilt, uh, be guilty of, of that in a time when the truth uh, is, is yearning to be declared. Um, for the sake of our children and grandchildren's generation. And um, so, Father, would you open your word to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So what happened? Just some, you know, familiar with the Old Testament. Just real quick. Of course, the whole thing about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then, and then, Eventually, the Joseph thing in Egypt and, and, the, and the famine and, and Joseph becomes number two to Pharaoh, uh, goes from being a slave in prison to be number two in, in Egypt and, and 
provides for the salvation of, of the whole, that area of the world and his family. Eventually, all his family, his father Isaac and his brothers, his mean brothers and all their kids, about 70 of them move into Egypt. Uh, and then go, go about 400 years later, and there's, uh, Israel has become a nation, just a talk about fertile uh, fertility. They just having babies. And they were strong and, and um, were under the oppression of Pharaoh, uh, the Pharaoh then who didn't care about uh, who Joseph had been and stuff and the oppression and, of course. And then Moses comes along and the whole story leading them out of, out of um, Egypt 40 years in the wilderness because of their refusal to trust God. And then they enter into the promised land, crossing the Jordan under Joshua's leadership, Moses uh, dies on the east side of the Jordan River. He was not allowed to enter because he of uh, something he did. And anyway, so Joshua leads them in into the Promised Land. Uh, I'm I'm not sure. It doesn't really say how old Joshua was. I know um, his the other two. Caleb uh, was like 85 when he when they came in. But jo- Joshua seems to have been younger. It could have been he was around 70 years old by the time they had settled there. And. And then there began a time after they, it took a number of years for them to, to each tribe to take their land, their inheritance, and they, and they worked to do that. They didn't take them all, didn't take it like, like they should have and that. But then we started this time of the judges. They didn't have a king, they didn't have a governor, uh, and, and they, they, they had the law of God. And you can be sure that the tribal, the elders of each tribe were, were to basically lead their tribes. Uh, according to um, the law of God given through Moses. But as, as it says early on here in Judges, that everybody did what was right in his own eyes. And that always works out really well, doesn't it? <laughs> no, it never works out good. Um, and so the period of the Judges goes about 450 years. Can you imagine that? Before the first king, King Saul. So that kind of gives you an idea. Um, this story here, there are four judges beforehand. The most prominent is Deborah, the fourth one. And then the fifth one here uh, is Gideon. So let's read this and just uh, walk through this story. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Let me just pause for a moment. And so this is what happened is the Israelites would start doing, you know, their own thing. Then they'd cry out to the Lord because God would... would uh, allow a, a neighboring enemy nation uh, a power over them. They would oppress the Israelites, and then finally they would cry out, God, save us, and then God would send a judge, and they would, they would deliver them, and God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and, and they'd uh, deliver them from the enemies. And as long as that judge lived, they followed God. But as soon as that, it says, even as soon as that judge died, they went right back into Baal, Baal worship and these things. And So this was a cycle of the judges and um, and so here we are. And so in chapter uh, 6, verse 1, when it says, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord uh, for seven years. Um, and for seven years he gave them into the hand of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites appeared, prepared shelters for, them, for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. And whenever the Israelites planted their crops and the Midianites, the Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country, they camped on the land. Can you imagine that? You know, this is your, 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 this is, there's a whole lot of farmland around here. Let's say the Canadi- Canadians were our enemies. 
you know, our farmers were out there and plant uh, their, their crops and they would start coming up. And then the, the evil Canadians, and they're not evil, but I'm just saying, you know, the Midianites w- would come in and bring just their hordes of people and all their cattle and all their, their herds. And they would p- plant themselves on all this farmland out here and eat all the stuff growing up until it was co- completely devastated. And then they would they'd go after your sheep. And this is what was happening over and over again. Um. Um, it said, verse 5, they came up with their livestock, their tents, like swarms of locusts, and it was impossible to count the men and, the, and their camels. They invade the land to ravage it. Midian, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. And so then, uh, verse 7, when, when, when they cried out, God sends them a prophet in verse 8. It says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt, from the hand of, the, of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. And so... This, and this is what's happening in America right now. In fact, we, we have our own cycle as well. And what has brought America back to God has been the great awakenings and the revivals that, that are, have, have, have happened even before the, our, the revolution in the 1740s, the first great awakening. America was certainly not, the colonies were certainly not a godly um, uh, um, uh, known for a godliness, and uh, and this brought brought us back and prepared us for for what would be the Revolutionary War. The same thing right around the turn of the of the the nineteenth century. They were burning Bibles at Princeton in the late in right around the turn of from late seventeen nineties into eighteen hundred. Uh, I mean, and and those who who were Christians uh, were kept it quiet because they knew they would be. Um, 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 persecuted or, or be be targeted, um, and and then comes the the eighteen uh, the, the second great awakening beginning around the, the early eighteen hundreds, and and God begins to sweep across this nation again. Uh, the prayer revival in the middle of the eighteen hundreds, um, uh, uh, where started with with one guy in New York City during the lunch hour. They would pray in one place, and a few people showed up. And eventually, after I don't know how many months, there were thousands and thousands of, of Americans praying at the noon hour across this country, and an amazing bringing the people back uh, to God. And, and these are the kind of things that have happened. The the, the Pentecostal revival of of the 1900 really started in Wales in 1904, 1906 in Azusa Street, and and many other ways that these. Are the things that brought us back we, we we end up doing our own thing because we got prosperous and comfortable but it was when uh when the people of god humbled themselves before god and cried out with all their heart that god answered and brought this nation back and that is exactly what we need today amen so but let's look at this uh, to shatter some wrong paradigms that we have about how what the, what the solution is. Verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Ophrah, not Oprah, uh, that belonged to Joash, the Abizarite. The, 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 uh, the Abizarite, that's just a clan within um, the tribe of Manasseh, I, I guess, um, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. 
See, a wine press would have walls. I don't know how he even was able to get the wheat to grow long enough that he could actually harvest it and thresh it, but he he did. But he's having to thresh it, not in in a wide-open threshing floor, but in this hidden place to try and get something to eat uh, without the Midianites um, going after it. And he says, the angel Lord appeared to Gideon, verse 12. It says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And I, it's just such, that's one of those funny, humorous lines in the Bible. Like, I'm sure he says, well, you got somebody in your back pocket? Yeah, I don't know who you're talking to. I'm this guy hiding in this wine press just trying to thresh out enough wheat so we have something to eat. <laughs> I'm certainly no warrior. I'm afraid of those Midianites like all the rest of us. I'm just hiding. It's interesting to know that the name Gideon means warrior. Just a side note. And then listen to what Gideon said. Let me first back off and just say, God sees us in ways we don't see ourselves. Right? God has intended for you things that you don't even realize. And, and quite frankly, the current circumstances that might surround your life or, or maybe the history that, that brings you up to this time might be trying to tell you a, a, a different story. You're, you know, like... You, you're no mighty warrior, you know, you, you barely can get up in the morning or you're, you know, you did this in the past, you'll never be anything in the future. You know, does anybody identify with some of that stuff, right? But that doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan for you and a desire to use you, amen? And so, but then, so Gideon uh, gets in, but sir, uh, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now, what did he get wrong at the very outset when he said that? He said that the Lord is with us. The, the angel of the Lord did not say the Lord is with them. He says the Lord is with you. Didn't he? Right? But he goes, if, if God's with us, then why has this happened to us? If he's a good God, why is this happening to us? Does that sound familiar, right? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up, up out of Egypt? But now, look, now he's, the Lord's abandoned us, you know, and, and put us into the hand of Midian. Like, it's all your fault, you're all your fault God. Excuse me. Um, those Freudian slips there. It might as well be that too, you know. How embarrassing is that? Okay. But now the Lord has abandoned us. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What do you notice about that? He didn't answer his question. Did he? He didn't, he didn't try to explain why this stuff is happening. He says, Go in the strength you have and deliver um, Deliver Israel by this, in the strength that you have. Um, am I not sending you? You know, would you think that maybe Gideon is going, strength? <laughs> what strength are you talking about? I haven't, I haven't uh, recognized or... or, or I, I wouldn't call myself as a strong person. I'm hiding in this wine press, scared to death of these Midianites, just hoping to eke out some kind of living, just trying to manage in the difficult situation we're in because God's abandoned us for whatever reason and just whatever I can do. But he says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. 
It says, am I not sending you? The reason for which he should have the confidence to go forward is that it was God himself who was sending him. God will never send you into a direction thing that he hasn't already prepared something ahead for you. Right? Right? He will always make a way. Uh, if, he, if he's calling you in that direction, he's already done some other background work you need ahead of time. Um, and so he goes on. Uh, says, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? Sounds like Moses, doesn't it? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Again, this whole thing about I am nobody, which is actually the best place to be. Right? If, until we get there, God can't do a whole lot with us. If we're impressed by our ancestry or our chronology or our, you know, our, our gifts and our abilities and these kind of things, then those become obstacles from um, us to be able to really be used by God. God says, uh, how can I'm the least? Yes, you are exactly who I need. Because you know that it's not going to be by your strength. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites together. I believe that this is what God is trying to say to his church. And I, I honestly, I believe that if we would, would hear the message, I believe that God gave Eric Metaxas in his book and uh, letter to the American church. You recognize that God wants to redeem this nation back to himself and he wants to use a church. But the church in its current condition, he can't use. We're so mixed up. We're so compromised. We're so fearful of man. We, we think we've got to make people happy or um, compromising even in, in we're afraid to stand up for the truth or, or those that do, there's, there's hardly, uh, they get sh- shouted down. I had, I, I shared yesterday, I had somebody send me a note trying to tell me, stop what you're doing. Basically, stop doing it. Do it go another direction. God, you need to hear what God's saying and then, and then just do the, you know, anybody, nobody knows, very few people know that the road it has taken me to get to this place where I, I recognize we, we can't be silent and I refuse to be silent anymore. Because this Bible applies to every single area of life and if I'm not applying it to every single area of life, then I, I'm derelict in my duty. The gospel, to preach the gospel means to, what Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, the, the Great Commission, go and make Disciples, like I said, he didn't say go make friends, right? He said go make disciples. And what does that mean? Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them how to live this life for me in this world that, that, that doesn't, doesn't believe in me, that actually wants to hold to standards that, that, that are opposite of, uh, of that. And so, and I've said this before, but for those maybe who haven't heard, the point is we've got to be able to let our... Our loved ones know that, that what's going on out there, the Bible has something to say about it. Right? And so you're going to find out what that is. But when we don't do that, we, 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 we do our, our, our church speak and our safe little topics that don't upset the, the unbelievers and just makes us happy. And we all talk about things we already agree on then what happens, especially our young people, we begin to teach them that the Bible really is irrelevant out there. There's, you have a little church world, then you have the real world. And the two never mix. But when we show them it does, and, and, and I believe that the stories like this 
uh, can help us uh, to, to raise up an army of young people who says, I know who my God is. I know that it's not about me. I, it, it, I can be the least in my family and tribe and whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's called me. If he has sent me, he's provided for me. If he said he's with me, I have nothing to fear. If I've been, been given a, a direction uh, and I, I clearly see what it is, I can go forward in faith and God is going to make it away, away, make away because it's not my strength, it's his strength. It's not my spirit, it's his spirit. Amen? And the time is urgent. We don't have a lot of time left. Um, uh, so, he goes, verse 16, he says, I'll be with you and I will strike down the Midianites. So verse 17, uh, Gideon says, if, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me this sign uh, that's really you. And it's just about stay here. Don't go anywhere. I'm going to go, I'm gonna make an offering and bring it back to you. And, and, and he does that, which is, um, um, uh, and when he brings the food, uh, the angel Lord doesn't eat it. He takes the staff in his hand, touches. He said, put, put that on the rock there. There's some, some boulder there. And they put it on there. And, and the angel of the Lord takes his staff and touches it, the end of the staff with that. And, and flame um, comes up and consumes it all. And then he disappears. In verse 22, when Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And then the Lord said to him, and how he said this, I don't know. But he said, peace, do not be afraid. You are not going to die. See, they understood to see the face of God meant you, you, you would die. And people, oh, that's a mean thing. And unless you understand that, that the presence, the purity and the, and the holiness of God is of such a, a consistency. Can I use that word? That our physical bodies could not survive in his presence. So that's when we talk about the fear of God. This is what we're talking about. And um, that he is um, quite, uh, our God is an awesome God, right? The only one who truly the word awesome should be applied to. Uh, tw- verse 24, so he, Gideon built, a, built an alt- altar to the Lord there. And he, he said, this, this, is like, this was like his moment where he, he says, I, I've met God. And he, it's like... This is, the, this is where I, in a, in a New Testament, this is where I, I, I surrender myself to God and to his purposes. And all of us, uh, I, I hope you all have that, that time where, where, where you remember where you gave your life to Christ, right? Uh, and, and then there's maybe, no doubt, been significant times in your life where God brought you through a difficult time or you, you struggle with something and, and God brought you through. And you remember those times. You, you could probably remember the date and the time and everything. Why? Because th- that's, that was an altar, in a sense, in your heart that you found God and he was able to bring you through. And, um, and we need those, those things in to, to um, um, you know, as, as we go forward. Th- those just drive that stake in the ground and the, and the doubt wants to come back and, and says, oh, it's not real. Oh, yeah? Back here, this is what God did for me and I, I will never forget. This, this is where I gave my life to Christ. This is when I found out that, that, that I, I needed a Savior and He saved me and cleansed me. I am now a child of God. And you have those, those altars in your heart uh, for the, what the Lord has done. And then, um, and the interesting thing here, that, that, that God then appears, uh, speaks to Gideon that night, verse 25. And he says, I want you to go to your father's herd, get the second... Um, uh, what is it? What does he call it? Um, the, yeah, the second bowl. 
I don't know why it's the second one. But go get the second one, seven-year-old one. And I want you to tear down your father's altar. See what it says? His father had created an altar to Baal. And next it would be an Asherah pole. Um, those are like in, in, in idolatry. So that would, Baal is like the, the husband and Asherah is the fertility goddess, the wife. And, and we talked about that um, child sacrifice would also be part of, of that ritual and, and those kind of things. And, and says, I want you, basically, before you do anything, you got to clean your father's house. And he said, I want you to tear that down. Chop up that, that, uh, that Asherah pole, which is probably, they don't really know what it looked like, but just probably some kind of figure of a, of a woman, fertility goddess um, type thing, and chop it up and use that as firewood to sacrifice the, the bull. And so he, Gideon took 10 of his servants, and because he didn't want to do it during the daytime, might have some opposition, he did it at night. Um, and a very interesting thing happened. So he destroys it, uh, he, he does everything, um, that the that the Lord told them to, and the next morning they they the townspeople see, hey, what happened here? You know, who did this? And they find out it was it was Gideon, and that you bring him out here, he must die. And then his father, whether he believed it or was just trying to defend his son, but he he, he says this powerful thing, verse thirty one says, "Are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him?" Whoever fights for him shall be put to death by one. If Baal really is God, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. You know, it was very perceptive, as it wasn't it? Then they gave uh, Gideon the name Jeroboam because he broke down Baal's altar. And now it's time to confront the Midianites. Notice what's happened. There was a preparation that had to happen in, in Gideon. Um, as, as, you know, when you draw closer to God, guess what? The light gets brighter about yourself, <laughs> right? It's not like you're looking for perfect people. But he does, he says, I want to put some, my finger on a few things here. I love you. I've called you. But there's this, this point of idolatry in, in, in your life. There's, there's this area that's not sacrificed to me. And, and I'm, I, you need to go and, and address that. Whatever it might be, I'm not here to even try to say what it would be. But there had, that had to happen first. This, you commit your life to Christ, and what happens is you recognize the things you've got to turn away from. Remember one, one young man that really stands out. He got saved one night with us and filled the Holy Spirit in a very dramatic way. He told us later when he got home, he looked at the TV. He says, I can't watch that anymore. Uh, the stuff he'd been watching, he, he saw, he, then he saw his stereo system. We used to have stereos. Now we don't have. Anyways, and I can't listen to that music anymore. And then he looked and, and saw the bedroom door open. He was living with his girlfriend. I can't do that anymore. See, when the presence of God comes in and you're, you truly surrender yourself to him, he's going to begin to show you some things. And it's all about, can you give that to me too? And that's what he's asking. I think at, as, a, as individuals and as a congregation, uh, likewise, um, that we, we be able to do that. Um, and so they do this now in verse 33. <clears throat> all the Midianites, let me, excuse me, let me lubricate things here. So now Midianites, Amalekites, and the eastern peoples that have been harassing them all this time, they come and they camp at the Valley Jezreel <clears throat> to, do what, <clears throat> to do what they've been doing. And I want you to notice what verse 34, how it starts. 
What does it say? The Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Sometimes we just kind of pass over that. But this is significant. You'll find so many times with the judges, with the kings, um, or, or, or the prophets, before they spoke, before they acted, before they, they stepped forward, you will find this same phrase, the Spirit of the Lord came upon them, and then they... And this is the, the, a, a picture of, of what Joel prophesied would become typical of the entire church. Joel chapter 2, that Peter quoted on the day of Pentecost, he said, In the last days, I'll pour my spirit upon all flesh. In the Old Testament, God would pour his spirit out uh, upon the individuals in which he wanted to use for a certain work. Right? right? Um, in this case, it was Gideon. Other places, Samson. Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he, and he did these things. And uh, David, um, after he had been anointed king but wasn't quite king, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he killed the lion that went after sheep. Later, the bear came out. It says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he, then he killed the bear. And you'll find this, this, this repeated over and over again. The point is that there is something beyond just a surrender to God, that, uh, this this commitment to Christ that we have that also is then followed that we need something more than just our own commitment, our own determination to do what he's asked us to do, and that is the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, in a few days you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power, and you'll become my witnesses. And so in, in an Old Testament version, we see the picture of that. And Joel prophesied that in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Male, w- female, old, young, handsome, ugly. Well, maybe not part of that. You know. Um, but the, for the purpose of doing his work. And that's, go back again, the, 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 the children and grandchildren that we raise, we lead them in the place to know God and to know the power and the presence of God through the baptism of the Holy Spirit that we might be equipped. Um, actually, it's, it's really, we have this unfair advantage because we, our Father is, is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, right? And he's the one who directs the feet of the king. And when, when the people of God call upon him for the, for the sake of their nation, asking God to have mercy upon their nation, mercy upon our state, and, and call out the, the evil deeds of, of those in, in, in leadership. I'd, you know, like I said last night, just stop these cute little, little safe, little, little fuzzy prayers. Oh, God, just, just bless this person. No. no, God, call them to account for what they've been doing. And set us free from this oppression and, and, and these things. Um, and um, anyways. So, Spirit of the Lord came upon him and he called and um, blew the trumpet and called all, all these men uh, from the different tribes. And I kind of, you don't need to read all of this. This is a time where about 32,000 men show up and then Gideon says, God, I just want to make sure this is you. And God honors that, meaning that he saw the motives of his heart. He wasn't doubting God. He says, I just want to make sure I'm in your will. And I think that's smart, right? It's, it's important that we keep hearing from God. I know it's said before, you know, Abraham and Isaac, God told Abraham to off, offer his son Isaac, you know, on this place he would show them. Uh, aren't you glad that Abraham kept listening to God? Isaac was really happy that Abraham kept listening to God, right? Go up and sacrifice him. And then what he's about to do, he says, oh, let's stop. No, no, no. You told me I have to do this. 
And so, um, and so he does, and the whole thing about the fleece, um, make it all wet and the ground dry, it was, and then, well, don't be angry, can we just try it the other way? And sure enough, the ground was just soaking wet, and the, and the fleece was dry. And so, and then, of course, you know the story, God then says in, char- in, verse, in chapter 7, you have too many men to deliver, to deliver them out of, uh, deliver the Israelites out of the hand of Midian, because you'll think you did it. 32,000, we're probably talking about half a million um, with the multiple nations that had gathered. Um, just one king had started off with about 135,000, just one king. Um, if you read later on in about Zeb and Zalmunna in chapter 8, we won't go there. But even 32,000 to 500,000 is like not the greatest odds to begin with, right? But he says, you know, you'll still think you did it. And so he says, well, listen, you just let everybody know. Anybody who's too afraid, they can go home. So 22,000 scare babies um, went back home. And, um, and they said, well, that's still too many. Take them down to the water, and I'll sift them for you. And you know, you know the story. And, and, and doc, Dr. Clements um, referred to this at, at the end of his, his um, documentary that we watched. But most of the men went down to the water and they put their face down like a dog and drank the water. But only three of them went down. Uh, do you mind if I not go on my knee right now? <laughs> on one knee, right? And, and, la- and brought the water up to the mouth. And clearly that's the sign that they recognize. Well, put it this way. You put your face down in the water, you are vulnerable. You can't see who's coming after you. But a true warrior who's alert would never surrender that. They would, they, all right, I need to eat, but I'm, I'm, I need water, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not lose track uh, um, of what's going on around me. And those three, 300 men were the ones <clears throat> God told Gideon, that's, that's your army. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Exciting. Um, and so he said, get up and go, go down. Um, and you know the whole story. Um, they divided up into three groups, a hundred each group. They had a torch. They had a, a clay pot that, no doubt, the, the the torch could be put inside so you couldn't see it at night. Um, and then they also had a trumpet uh, that they gathered from the other guys who who were dismissed. So everybody had their own trumpet. They all and and um, and then God even gives gives. Uh, Gideon, one last encouragement, said, now, if, if you're still afraid, go down to the camp, you know. And so they go down uh, to the edge of the camp, and, and they lean in and listen to what the guys are talking about in, in, the, uh, in their tent. And one guy says, I had this dream. This barley loaf came rolling down the hill and crashed into, into our tents and destroyed them all. And the other guy said, this can be nothing but Gideon. And God has given the Midianites in, in, into his hands. And like they were afraid. And so that God just, one more assurance uh, for Gideon. And of course, then they, they go. And you can imagine they, they in three different um, divisions of 100 each with their, their torch inside a clay pot and their trumpet. And they kind of surround up on the hills above. And, 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 and he says, um, once we get to our place, you just do what I do. And um, and then all of a sudden, when the time came, they they busted those clay pots. Can you imagine the sound 
echoing through that valley as all these pots began to break. And then all these torches, right? And you're in, it's dark. You can't see that there's only one guy per torch, right? And then they, they shouted for the sword of the Lord and Gideon, and they blew their trumpets. And God then sent an ambush in their hearts, and they turned on each other and began to use their own swords and wipe out each other. It's not the first time God has done that, uh, those kind of things. And then they chased them down, uh, 300 men. Imagine this. In, in chapter 8, you've got 300 men. All 300 guys are still there, right, with Gideon. They're chasing, um, I don't know if it's Zeban, Zalmunna. They've got 100, they, they lost 120,000 men, right, by the time they're chasing them down. They have 15,000 men left, and they're running from a guy who has 300. What's going on here? Exactly, and that's, that's the point, is that when we are stepping forward in what God has for us, it doesn't matter how many people we have, because God works, goes into the hearts and puts fear in the hearts of the enemy of God and does a work that we can't even do, and they are afraid. 15,000 men are afraid of 300, because God is working. Amen? He's working because people stood up and said, I will obey you, I will go forward. And God begins to bring a victory. It's a work that he does, but he asks us to partner with him, doesn't he? That they were one in heart, and they were devoted for the purposes of God, and that was it. And God got incredible glory, didn't he? And there's more to the story, but I think I want to just... Uh, wrap it up there. So what are the things we see? That Number one, God sees you in ways you don't maybe see yourself. He can use you in ways you probably, you and I probably don't really anticipate. But there's always, always going to be a time when that time comes to be used in that way. But he, what he is asking of us is to be faithful to what he's given to us right now. To be hearing from him, right? And, um, and also that we would learn where our fear needs to be directed. Our fear should not be directed towards those who might want to call you a transphobe because you actually don't think that a boy can be a girl because he believes he is. That we, that we are not going to fear the rejection of, of others, that the mocking of others, because... We, we recognize that science actually says those masks do not protect you from anything. And those vax, those shots are actually killing more people than they're saving people. That the church has got to speak up and be light in this dark world. And people said, don't mix your politics with religion. The problem, that's our problem. Amen? You don't have politics until you got your religion figured out. Because your faith, whatever you put your faith in, I've said this before, but I'll say it. Whatever you put your faith in, that's what's right here. This is your, I believe in God and, and everything about him, his word of God, that guides my life, right? And that feeds and informs all the other areas of my life. It tells me what family looks like. 
tell me what marriage looks like. It tells me what, what a government should be. It tells me what, what are good laws and what is bad laws. It tells me about what should be an education and what should not be an education. It tells me how I should conduct my business. And all, all around, that, that, that my, my religion, your religion, whatever it might be, you know, some people, it might be humanism, it might be atheism, it might be, you know, like Buddha, whatever it might be. But that always starts there. You can't, we don't have some divided up life, like I got my church life here, I have my family life here, I have my business life. No. Everything about the rest of our life is, is determined by who, what our faith is in. And as I said before, the other thing that we know that whatever you believe to be your 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 whatever your religion is, you would I think we would all admit that that's what you believe what truth is, right? And so, if you want to substitute the word polit- uh, religion for truth, I think that's a, it should be equivalent, right? My religion is the truth; is God's truth. So let's just restate that thing. Don't mix your politics with the truth. <laughs> Heaven help us. That's what's been happening. So my point is that we, we, we have to, we, I mean, not even be, a, be a, afraid of other believers that are going to kind of point to you and say, you've lost track. You're just some political hack. You're some Christian nationalist. Thank you very much. Yeah. I love Jesus and I love my nation. Tell me why that's wrong. And that when we come and finally come to grips, like Gideon finally came to grips with who he was, what God had asked him to do, and he went forward. And all along the way, God encouraged him, brought some encouragement. And, but it never was about how many people are going to follow you, how many people are going to appreciate what you're saying or doing, right? But in the end, God did a work that only God could do. And I believe that God wants to do a work um, in our nation, in this state, in this, in this region, um, more than we could really even begin to imagine. But he's looking for people who can humble themselves and say and recognize they don't have anything impressive to present, offer to God, except their, their faith. That if people become part of this church, I just ask you to lay down your personal agendas. You better get rid of those right away. You know? And, and I'm going to tell you another thing, too. This guy up here is not like your God or your master. You do not submit to me. You submit to God and you submit to his word. Amen. But we also submit ourselves to a bigger purpose than what I, how one person, I'd like it to look like this, like that. It has to be, God, what are you calling us to? That you might do a work here and, and what again is the what I believe is the it happened in, in Gideon's day the ultimate purpose for which you and I are called together in this life we're, we're already saved that heaven and hell thing that's already answered heaven death is defeated heaven is ours we're children of God we can't get more saved we can't get more sure of that than we can than, than in any other way so what else is left for us to do that God would get glory out of our lives. Amen? 
That God would get glory out of our lives, whatever that looks like, that God would get glory out of our lives, that we would surrender ourselves, humble ourselves before him and say, uh, with all things, God, with with God, all things are possible. So use me for your purpose. That you might redeem, revive your church, awaken the lost in this area. And should it should hearts respond we see God do something here that will actually pull us back from the brink of destruction as a people and as a nation. Um, but not by might, not by power, but by his spirit. And by a, little, by a Gideon's army. People who knew their God and would not be deterred will keep going forward. Um, for his purposes. Amen. While we stand. Should bow your heads and first and foremost, if there if you really realize that you've living your life has not really been living for God. And you just want to say, God, I, I want to give my life to you. I want you to forgive me of my sin. Be the Lord of my life. I want you to get glory out of my life starting this day. And I surrender myself to you and trust you to wash away all my sin. And I become a child of God. If there's anybody here that you, you, you know you need to do that, you just you need to put your hand up and just remember to pray for you. And say, God, I, I'm yours. Today, I'm all yours. And others that, who would just say you're, you, you've been a follower of Christ, but you just recognize it. <clears throat> Jesus, I, I want to be about your business and not just my own. And I refuse to be silent, but I also refuse to trust in my own strength. And I'm asking you to fill me with your spirit, to empower me, to lead me, and to lead us for your purposes. If that's your desire for God, can you just lift your hand to the Lord this morning? We just keep them there. And how about if we just take a moment and just you just speak to God, either in your heart or or just under your breath, whatever, what you what you want to just tell him right now. Whatever term of surrender, maybe there's some altars that God's saying, hey, that altar's got to go down. Um and build a new one for, to me, whatever it might be. I just, just go ahead and just take a moment. Just take a, a moment and just speak to him. What is he, or ask, what is he saying to you? Jesus. Jesus. And you're here. You hear us, Lord. You hear us, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless you, Lord. Father, as we just um, <clears throat> maybe close our time here together, um, and we've, we've lifted our hands in, in, in response to you, God, I just I almost want to just stretch both my hands as high as I can. Just, God, I want you, I want to reach you, I want to touch you, I want you to touch us, Lord. We recognize, Lord, that we... There's so much corruption in this nation. 
So much perversion in our schools, on the television and music. So many things permeate, even, even in your church, Lord, and we're so confused in some ways, God. Father, would you, in your mercy, pour out your spirit, Lord God, and, and move upon us, Lord, right now in this, in this day. That you would <clears throat> equip us <clears throat> and use us, God, for your glory, God, in this time. And we, we say, I'm available. Just tell them that. Say, God, I'm, I'm available. Do as you need to do with me, through me. And Father, for those who would commit themselves to this local congregation here, Lord, we just want to lay down our personal agendas. Lord, forgive us for if we try to get ahead of you. God, if there's uh, any contrary attitudes, Lord, just, God, we just want to confess and repent of those things. That you would get glory out of this place. That Jesus' name would be exalted. In fact, it would, you would move in such a way that Jesus' name would be honored and feared even among the unbelievers. Because they see the authority and the power in the name of Jesus. And we'll give you praise and we'll give you glory, God. And we, oh, we trust you <clears throat> to move upon our state legislature, the county uh, governments, uh, the commissioners and sheriffs, <clears throat> councils, city councils. Do an awakening, Lord God. Move upon hearts of those in places of influence. Convict them as they need to be convicted. Empower them as they need to be empowered. Um, or remove them if they need to be removed. But God, we're asking you to move on in our day for the sake of our children and our grandchildren's generation and for the sake of your name being exalted in this day that all might know that you are God and nobody else is. That this Mor- the Mormon church, these wonderful Mormon people would find the true God um, and that that building could actually be used for the purposes of, of, of you, worshiping you. And you, you would call people uh, to yourself, Lord, and others. We just thank you and we just commit ourselves to you. And um, I just commit myself to you for this purpose in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And let's just keep believing and praying. And um, God's got stuff he wants to do. Amen. Let's be part of that. All right. God bless.